internet, just because that sentence is symmetrical doesn't make it not nonsense. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I find irony is a blade that cuts he who wields it most especially. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. I feel like you're the dungeon master in this in this scenario. So how would you sit us up? Oh, uh, wow. Like, if, what, you were, if, if this was a game and I was the only paladin... So I did make you the paladin on the graphics, so that makes sense. Oh, I was actually that was my next question. Was like I've never played Dungeons and Dragons, so <laughs> what would I be? All right, let's start. <laughs> okay, so, let's start. Yeah. So, so if this, if the only podcast about movies was a one shot that I was doing, oh god, I didn't prepare anything for this. That's fine. But you know what's funny? Yeah. Some of my best Dungeons and Dragons stuff, stuff I haven't prepared for. Yeah. Um, I would say it's actually we're funny. We we have Dungeons and Dragons stuff holding up our microphones right now on our yeah. card table because we're in person again. We're in person again. Um, I would start us off with uh, you you climb a dark set of stairs, um, moving very carefully upward, knowing that you're about to engage in a highly mental task. This is pretty much not me just walking up your stairs. It is, yeah. it is. <laughs> uh, and when you open the door, you're greeted by a very small displacer beast in a purple collar. Zoe? Yep, yeah, that is correct. Got it. And then you come into the lich's chamber to sit down and... Uh, basically debate him on the pros and cons of uh, a silly uh, summary kind of action movie. And now, ooh, actually, Shahir, let's yeah. see if you let's see if you can outsmart me. Here's a D20. Okay. And you're going to roll that. I'm going to give you... I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. Great. So I know nothing. So left. this is going to be a persuasion check. So okay. what, what's something you want to convince me about, about this movie? Ooh. Uh, I don't know if I want to convince you about this because I don't know what your opinion is. Sure. But I don't think this movie is as charming as it thinks it is. Okay, so I'm going to, based on my opinion as the dungeon master, and normally I'd keep this number to myself before you rolled it, but this, since we're having fun, yeah. I'm going to give this a DC. A, that's a difficulty, a, 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 a difficulty basically of 16. But okay. I'm going to give you a plus three because you're a charming motherfucker. Okay. So roll that dice, and if you get the number plus three is over 16, I will be persuaded. Okay, uh, what did I oh. hit? That is a 17 plus three unnatural 20. It might not be as charming as we think it is. I, I you know, I'm convinced. Um, are, are you actually convinced? Uh, weirdly, kind of yes. Uh, okay. but we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get, get to, to it. it. Um, let's wind back the clock just a little bit here. Because I have actually more, even more fundamental, like, what are Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> Who is, are these Dungeons and Dragons? Why are Dungeons and Dragons? No, um, we have a couple of emails that we just want to go through, which would be great. Uh, thank you, everyone who emailed us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, there is a couple of emails that we have probably missed, but we will try to get to those as we do, or I'll just uh, email you directly. Our inbox is a nightmare. It is a nightmare. We, I, you know what? I, this is my suspicion. Sure. Okay. I'm going to lay it out here before we get to the email. Is that last year, I did a... Remember there was that thing going around which was like, ask me anonymous questions? Yes. And everyone was doing it on Instagram? I did it for uh, for, for Only Movie Podcast. Oh. And, I, and we, we got some anonymous, you know, like, things uh, coming through. I think that process... Sure. ...sold our email yep. to... Every third party side uh, we, vendor. Whenever we, whenever we look at our e inbox, we're like, "Oh wow, we got like thirty emails. This is great." Oh, like ninety percent of them aren't real, and we have to like parse through. It's just yeah. like way harder. So we gotta like we maybe gotta, do some spam. Maybe cleanup we need or an something. intern. Is what we need. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone want to intern? Email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail .com. We don't even pay an experience. No, what we'll do is we'll get the intern to come in and then like go through the like their first task will be to go through the email sure. to find their email. 
<laughs> yeah, so if you want to find your email, we'll just give you our password. Yeah, and then you can find your email. And if you can if you can navigate that labyrinthian task, mm-hmm, we will mm-hmm. be very embraced. Anyway. If you can do an arcana check of a DC 12 or higher, you're hired. <laughs> our first email came in from Muhammad, who had his top 10 of 2022. Hi, guys. Hope you're all doing well. First of all, uh, thank you for your thoughtful answer to my question and after listening to it. I believe the question was, uh, how do you get into uh, foreign films? Mm. Uh, I feel like I've come to terms with myself and won't force myself to watch any film that I am not in the mood for, which I believe was your response. Mm-hmm. Second, it seems that all my emails are about your back episodes because I recently finished Black Panther 2. Hey! I just got Disney+. Plus and I have to say that I don't understand the MCU's aversions to colors. I watched Aquaman after finishing it for comparison's sake since both of them were underwater scenery, and I'd rather watch Aquaman over Black Panther. It just looks muted. I just wish MCU had more color saturation. After listening to your top 10 of 22 and 3, I thought I might give it a try too, and I uh, wish I'd seen more movies. Here's my uh, uh, list of top 10s for 22 and 2. Uh, coming, I'm going to go through these quickly. Mm-hmm. 10, Barbarian. 9, Ambulance. 8, Turning Red. 7, Hellraiser. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, number 6 was The Batman. Number Number five was Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Number four, Top Gun Maverick. Number three, Avatar 2, released released on VOD today, by the way. Uh, number two, Everything Everywhere All, uh, All at Once. And their number one film, a film that we discussed on this podcast at length and had very differing opinions of, was All Quiet on the Western Front. Yo, cool. <laughs> nice. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. That cool was very, your cool was very. Well, you know what I'm, <laughs> I, you know what I'm stuck on, to yeah. be honest. I mean, that's great. I love, I love that people love that movie. The uh, Hellraiser. Yeah, I didn't see it, but like no, this is the remake. Right? I remember With, wanting to. Yeah, and then I just forgot about it. Is a female female Hell, Hellraiser? Is that I, the thing? I don't or? know if a pinhead might be, or I, I have no, I have mm. no idea. But I've always really liked. I've always loved the Hellraiser mythos, but then also I love the contractual um, corporate side of the IP story okay. because it has it's Clive Barker, right? It was, yeah. and then like it went down to the point where like some indie person bought it for like six thousand dollars and <laughs> made a movie, and it's terrible. And now it's swung back to I think Hulu did it oh, man. or I something. Hope that, I hope that person who uh, spent six thousand and a movie on it uh, made their investment back. I don't know if they did. <laughs> it, I, I don't know. It just the story. If you Is follow Roger Corman, yeah, 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 yeah. If you follow the Hellraiser IP, it's <laughs> such a weird like fall from great. It actually kind of makes canonical sense <laughs> if you if you break it down. Uh, yeah. And the question about MCU's colors, uh, I will actually just point you to uh, Patrick Willems has a video essay on the color grading on the MCU. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think that there was some pushback on, on that from colorists, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, and, and in the case of the MCU, the the thing to think about there is that they have to unify approximately. 25 films plus TV shows and what have you to all feel like they're in the same world with characters who have different luminance levels and what have you. So there's, I guess all I'm suggesting there, while I do appreciate the idea that color grading in their world is much more muted than in Aquaman, for example, um, that there are bigger considerations that they have because they're trying to unify a much bigger world. Yeah, I I can see that. I also, at this point, I'm just sort of like, but why though? You just kind of made this rule. Like, I get it. Like, yeah. sure, you want it to look the same. Do they gotta? Like, I mean, I... There's a, there's a shakeup going on in the Marvel uh, visual effects world this week, which is that Victoria Alonso, who is the uh, executive producer in charge of the visual effects world, uh, I, I might be butchering yeah. her title, was recently uh, fired from Marvel. She was a second in command under Kevin Feige. And, and wasn't then, Ike out too now? Yeah, and Ike Perlmutter was also out. Although he is 80-something-odd years old, and I think the, the relegation of his tasks were down to merchandising, yeah. perhaps. Uh, Ike but, Perlmutter is 
uh, formerly the head of Marvel, who has recently uh, left the company. I guess. Mm. Um, uh, lots of interesting stories about shakeups. Yeah. I'm psyched for all that stuff. I'm also psyched because I think Ant Man was the last of the pandemic productions. Right. So like maybe it'll come back together in a constructive way they're certainly getting a lot of um constructive feedback at this point <laughs> like uh for, for for what was an impenetrable uh hit making machine i mean they're still making a, a lot of money oh yeah no but, one's no one's going hungry yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but, at the top uh, of marvel but there is an interesting conversation going around in the visual effects world uh in terms of marvel because marvel produces so much and i believe the shake-up of uh this executive has um, you know perhaps opened the doors for some questions to be asked about sure. how that happens because it is as as someone who works in visual effects and knows people who works in visual effects it's very very challenging uh, time consuming and yeah. difficult so uh, we'll kind of, we'll I'm sure we'll come back to that on our next Marvel episode oh, whenever it may be whatever that I guess Guardians. I guess so. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, next email is from Jacob. It's titled, Another Reason to Sit Through the Credits. Jacob writes, <clears throat> So a while back, you both got into a discussion about sitting through the credits of a movie, and I think it was mainly in regards to acknowledging all the hard work by all the folks that went into a movie. I wanted to share that I always sit through the credits, but for a different reason. I want to listen to the music. I feel like the credits are where the composer gets to sort of try and summarize the whole journey of the film you just saw into a suite of music, or that task is thrown to some artist uh, with an end credit song, etc. Um, or the composer can acknowledge the experience you went through by, by providing appropriate soundtracks to aid in what they imagine your mood or reflective state will be at the end of the film. Sometimes this task is given to sound designers and the credits feature uh, some sort of ambient sound. For me... Just as the opening and closing image can provide insight into a film, the opening sound slash music and closing sound slash music can do the same, so I always stay to that close and enjoy reflecting as the names scroll by. Who the best? You the best, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. That's a fun reason. Yeah, I think it's a great reason. Um, in fact, uh, what Jacob is kind of pointing to is this idea that the credits aren't just the last page of the book that you kind of don't gloss over, but they could be part of the experience entirely. And, you know, a couple of... Uh, the, when, when, when I read this email from Jacob, the film that I really thought about was David Fincher's Seven, mm. which has the credits played backwards, but also what it's doing is saying is, is kind of like giving you that moment of pause to yes. reflect upon what you've just watched, yep. not usher you out of the theater. Um, a couple of, you know, another one that comes to mind is Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes, which has a like beautiful, uh, it's got a Hans Zimmer score to it uh -huh. and it's an incredible score. Um, you know, like that kind of just really like sends you soaring out of the theater. Um, and then, you know, the one we haven't really, I, we, we talked about the movie, but I don't know if we actually had talked about this part of it was Todd Field's Tar which has the credits at the beginning and the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. Remember, there's like a, there's basically like three or four minutes at the beginning of the movie where the credits play. Yeah. Um, and I believe the reasoning for that is uh, Field wanted to acknowledge all of the people that went into making the movie before the movie yeah, began. Yeah, that makes sense. Which was sort of thematically correct for what that movie was about. Fun fact, we uh, had our Q&A for Extra History and Extra Credits last night. We do a quarterly for our Patreons. Patreon.com slash Extra Credits if you want to support that. But... Uh, I, I pitched, uh, I wish we did this as an April Fool's video, doing an extra history episode on Lydia Tarr. Oh, man, yeah. That'd How be great. fucking fun would that be? I also uh, saw uh, someone like uh, mocked up a Lydia Tarr in Fortnite. This week. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Have you not seen please. That? <laughs> no, I need, I need that. I will start playing. I will throw so many V-Bucks at the fucking screen. Uh, is that what they, is that a Fortnite money? I don't remember. I don't spend it, but I'll do it. Right. If Lydia Tarr can run around with a pickaxe, uh, it, but her pickaxe is a conductor. Right. Like, 
Yeah. Oh my <laughs> god. Oh, that's from Dreamy Jerry Chen on Twitter, I guess. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so <laughs> lovely. Uh, visual medium, visual medium. Yeah. <laughs> um, so no, I, I really, Jacob, I really enjoy this email, and it's funny because I think I do this from sort of two two points of view. One, I find that if I'm doing the if I'm doing the reflective stuff based on the sound that you're describing, the movie has kind of earned that for me. Yeah. Like I'm like I want to sit and marinate and and feel what this thing is happening. But then from the other side, say the movie doesn't, yeah. I'm always interested in what I think the production or the people you know in charge of this music at the end are trying to get across, even if it's not working for me. So like, there's a real meditative, meditative slash like uh, internalizing emotional state version of this, and there's the like. What do you guys think I should be feeling right now? And like, I just, I think the exercise is very, very fun. I'm trying to, as we were talking, I was trying to remember the Dungeons and Dragons uh, in credits, which I, uh, which may be the indicator of the fact that I don't remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, I, we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, last email. Last email came in this morning from Camera God, which I believe is our friend Steven. Uh, haven't been to a movie for a while and somehow ended up seeing John Wick 4 and Dungeons and Dragons. I think this will take us into a perfect discussion of Dungeons and Dragons. Decided I'm on board with fight scenes, but strangely, there was just enough in between to keep it interesting. I believe he's talking about John Wick 4 there, except the oh we haven't we haven't discussed the film so i'm not going to <laughs> except for blankety blank 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 uh and now this will lead us into our conversation about dungeons and dragons uh, Stephen writes in D&D was fun felt like a good session of the game yes i played a lot back in the day with the added dopamine hit of understanding that reference and Hugh Grant in full Paddington 2 villain mode is that a spoiler that is a spoiler i nah, guess but really like i don't know i don't think that's <laughs> the thing that makes Paddington 2 excellent no no well a spoiler for dungeons and dragons <laughs> so i thought so but we'll keep <laughs> yeah, going yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some Sometimes you just need to go to the fun park and enjoy the ride. Thanks, Steven. So, Matt, tell us what the fun park of Dungeons and Dragons was about. Well, what, oh, you just from the just from the IMDb description, yeah. I guess. Uh, well, um, they rolled. Let's see, what did they roll? <laughs> uh, I based on this, I feel like this is a solid middling, like ten. They say uh, a charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a lost relic, but things go dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong people. The wrong people. Yeah. Do you ever run a rye of the right people? I, you know, I think that's called being at the right place at the right time. Wow, that's how you like start a mega corporation that that's, like Hasbro, that like <laughs> like Hasbro. Oh, 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 oh God! So, so man, the story around this movie is 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 so fascinating. And I, again, we're not going to get into this. Uh, I've talked about it give length. Me, give, other- me, give me the TLDR. Uh, so Dungeons and Dragons is currently on its fifth edition. Okay. Uh, the the books. I feel that, like it's been around for longer it, than it's been around since the seventies. But okay. they 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 don't refresh it as often as Hasbro I think wants to. Right. Um. And it wasn't always Hasbro owning it. It was uh. Actually, we're doing. I'm going to butcher this now, but we're actually doing a, uh, a double to triple length, uh, extra credits episode on the on the legal ownership history of the IP. Right. And it's weird because check this out. Every odd edition. Mm-hmm. They, uh, whatever company owns it, and it's traded hands like three or four times, they get super relaxed with the licensing and the IP, and they let other people publish it under things like the OGL, which is the open license agreement, and a couple other things that like let you take certain elements of it, and like basically, and the whole, the whole tabletop RPG industry, including Dungeons and Dragons, makes a fuck ton of money. Every even edition of the game, the company that owns it, so two and four at this point, clamp down. 
and try to wring all these independent creators of like being able to use their shit and like milk them dry. And the whole thing tanks. Like you can see the industry and the game lose popularity. It's happened twice already. And the thing that just happened recently yeah. was they tried changing the OGL for, for, uh, with, for many reasons that I'm not going to get into blah, 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 blah. The and so like just to watch the companies make the same mistakes over and over and over. And granted, each one is a different company that has owned it when they've tried it. Right. Hasbro also so Hasbro owns D and D, owns Wizards of the Coast, and owns Magic the Gathering. Okay. Magic. There's a huge properties, right? Yes. Yeah. They're the two. I think believe. I think they make up something like sixty or seventy percent of Hasbro's like profit margin. Mm-hmm. Magic. They are milking so hard and dry that the community is like an open revolt. Like it used to be like I think every three to four months maybe. Mm-hmm. A new set would come out, right? But now they're getting like every two ish, like okay. like, and you can't. There's only so much disposable income you can pay for 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 a paper rectangles, right? Uh, and you're also fucking with the like reseller market and a whole bunch of stuff. So anyway, Hasbro, I think, learned recently with the fan backlash of like the OGL, like what they can and can't do, and who knows if they're going to. Uh, keep trying to do things because the next version of D and D as it stands now is something called again. I don't mm-hmm. fucking understand this D and D one. Okay. And it's going to supposedly be an ever-changing set of rules that they keep. So no more additions. Mm-hmm. It's a one D&D it might be called. Yeah. Uh, so like it just keeps gradually changing because I think what they're trying to do is stop overall making solid additions. So you have to sign up for their D&D Beyond service. So you have to sign up for their virtual tabletop service. And D&D becomes a subscription more than they've kind of already done. Okay, hang on. Now, um, I, I'm again for anyone listening. <laughs> Sorry, I know nothing. This John's is my name. wheelhouse. Yeah, like... I, yeah, and Matt knows everything about this topic. So I and I literally know nothing. So I'm gonna be. I I, I, I said this in a meeting once. I like to be the dumbest person in the room in a lot of in a lot of situations sure. because it means I ask fundamental questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so fundamentally, um, <laughs> what is the product? So this is the weirdest yeah. part, and this is I, this will actually transition, I think, into it's, discussing because, the yeah, film. Yeah, that was my very, about very the well movie. because the product. Mm-hmm. I think Hasbro mm-hmm. thinks the product is what they want to sell now is no longer books. They want to sell an online subscription service to play a game. Okay, video games do it all the time. Yeah, the thing that makes the tabletop space special, and what makes D anD D special, and yeah. what has had this thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands of people sort of glom onto it, is. The product, you you can't. The, how do I put this? The the valuable asset to it, the thing that I think makes it popular, mm-hmm. is intangible. Right. It's the it's, it's the, the experience it's, of storytelling with your friends and like yeah. The the, the thing that I try to sell D anD D on the most is like when I'm talking about old campaigns. Even I'm running a Curse of Strahd game with Jamie and Steve mm-hmm. and a bunch of other people that we know. Yeah. When we discuss it. This has been going for two years. When we discuss it, we're not like, oh, remember when uh, Hazos, your wizard, did this thing? It's not that. It's like, Anthony, remember when you did this? Because right. when you're playing this game, in your head, you're like, you're just it's all pretend and make-believe, but you're communal storytelling. And like these are experiences that we are all having together, and you'll, your brain processes it in an interesting way where it's like, you know it's, of course, fake in a game, but like – you don't talk about it like, remember when that character I was playing slayed the lich? It's like, remember when you threw that fucking fireball and saved the entire party? Like, you get this thing. So it's an ephemeral, community-based activity. But there is 
um, a book. Yes, there are rules, yeah. and there's homebrew, and you can change it. That, that's the thing, too. Like, with a video game, it's static, right? Like, yeah. you have the rules that the game designer has put together, and you're in their rigid structure. D&D is a guideline. Mm-hmm. And I think they're trying to make it less of a guideline yeah. and more of a product. Okay. So when the movie was rolling out and then this whole OGL kerfuffle happened, I think they they rolled back their decisions based on the fan outrage right. much quicker than they would have if this film was not coming out at the time it was. Because if that thing was still blowing up, yeah. this movie, the, the fans would have like raged against this movie. And I think they put it to bed just fast enough, and I'm curious to see what Wizards does in the next six to nine months. Again, this is the other side note. Okay. Wizards of the Coast, mm-hmm. I like as a company. I do not think that they are the ones making all the bad decisions for Dungeons & Dragons. I, uh, I've i met, at this point, a bunch of people that work high up like in that corporation, and like they love and believe in this game and want it to do the things and the magic that it's done for the past 40 fucking years, more or whatever. Right. I truly believe, this is my own personal opinion, that it is the higher-ups in Hasbro trying to make all the money instead of just a ton of money. Okay. Like, I believe the people well, in charge they, of the they, IP of Dungeons & Dragons want the game to be strong and fun and be a communal experience that does not milk its customers dry. But, it is, I mean, it is a, it's a va- extremely valuable... Like, what is the... I, I know you might not have the figure off the top of your head, but it, the economic value of Dungeons & Dragons compared to, say, another... Compared to, say... Um, an, a video game, or compared to in the in the tabletop RPG world, is Dungeon Dragons the the biggest? Dungeon Dragons the biggest, and yeah. and the reason why it is currently because it's not always the reason why it is is in this in this span of time for fifth edition the reason why it's grown to such popularity, honestly, in my opinion. Uh, is actual plays and the likes of Critical Role and right. and stuff like that because it has elevated. And Critical Role is a YouTube channel. Critical Role is a Twitch channel right. that has a YouTube channel uh, that does what is called an actual play. So basically, all the players will sit around and uh, run a live version of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and you get the story and whatever. And I've so the, over the pandemic, I watched their campaign too. There's something like 131 episodes, and they're like four hours each. Right, like that was my pandemic thing like that's what and i just do, always do they, watched does critical role do that in a licensing agreement with dungeons and dragons so or do they just buy the, the game and play it yeah they buy the game and play it because the ogl and another licensing i forget there's two documents mm-hmm. they're allowed to right because in and they've seen this historically again the episode we're doing an extra credits kind of shows this yeah when they let it open things like critical role come along mm-hmm. elevate the entire brand and now this is has one of hasbro's number one set like the D movie would not exist in the, I, I truly believe if Critical Role and the likes of it, and again, I don't want to. There's so many good. Dimension Twenty does a bunch of stuff on Dropout. Like, uh, uh, friend of the show, Jasmine Buller, uh, does her own stuff. She just got her Kickstarter for um, Desi Quest. Uh, it's got like there's there's a ton of there's so many people in this community lifting it up. But it's because of those people that D and D is popular again, and. And and then to have the OGL and try to sort of clamp that. So that's why Critical Role can do that. And they had to be super careful because they're obviously on the top of the thing. They had to be super careful with their statement when all this was going on. And I thought that you can go read it on Twitter. It was like a masterful like line balance because everyone was jumping ship. Right. The D&D Beyond service, which is basically a really cool way to like make characters very quickly and like everyone can put their stuff together. I'm running a one shot for some uh, Nebula folks yeah. uh, in like two weeks. So I had them make their characters. And then I have it all on the computer so I can reference it very quickly and like it loses some of the charm of pen and paper, but it's very easy. Yeah. Uh, you pay for that service. Uh, I th- I f- it's like a yearly, I forget what it is. But 
the interesting thing there was over 40,000 subscribers just canceled their shit when right. this was going on. Out of how many? Like, uh, I don't know, to right. be perfect. But that's a that's a large number, I think, for what numbers they're dealing with. Yeah. And so I think that's what made Hasbro be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and I want to tie this to the movie as yeah, well. Because yeah, yeah. like, oh. the fact is they, they there has been another movie uh, that was directed by Courtney Solomon in the year 2000. 2000. With uh, Jeremy Irons as the villain, and apparently not very good. Shout out to Jenny D, who just did a review of that movie, which <laughs> is very, very fun. <laughs> so the review, not the movie. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so I can kind of understand from it's weird as you said it, and I was like listening to you talk, and I was like, okay, Critical Role has made uh, a Twitch streaming, which, which for which they sell advertising, but they don't pay a licensing fee to Hasbro. And so for me... And d and Beyond has even been a sponsor of that show. Right. So for me, the thing that I'm sort of wondering about is like uh, in other platforms, for example, if um, Mattel did a... Trend, you know, if someone did a, a, a homebrew Transformer show on YouTube or something like that, they would likely need to pay a licensing fee to Mattel because Mattel owns that property. So there's so, an interesting thing. The, the, here's the difference. Illegal yeah. Eagle did a pretty good episode on this, though some people came back about the legality of this this whole element, yeah. uh, is you can't copyright game mechanics. Right. You can't. You just can't do it. So you can't copyright the first-person shooter. You can't copyright rolling a dice. You, yeah, and you can't copyright. And, and it's very sort of gray, and there's people that are way smarter than me on this topic. Just I've read so much about it at this point, like I've kind of glommed on. Like So things like the way the classes work and the stats and like uh, spells and like a bunch of other stuff are kind of – even though – on a legal precedent, you can't really copyright it. The OGL has said explicitly, like, hey, you can use this stuff. Here's all the stuff you can use. Right. The stuff that you can't use is characters. Right. And sometimes settings depending. Like, because, you like, there's, like, so they, they drop so much uh, name-droppy stuff in this movie for, like, the fans. So, like, Mordenkaiden is a famous wizard in Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. Um you couldn't, like, Critical Role, even though in their early days before they were, like, official, official, they'd kind of mix stuff. And there's a big villain named Vecna, yeah. uh, which uh, I believe even uh, Stranger Things references at this point. Okay. Um, but, like, so those named characters and things, those are copywritten. Right. You can't you can't technically be like, well, I'm going to write a Mordenkind story and then show it, whatever. People have done it, and Wizards hasn't gone after them. Yeah. Or Hasbro hasn't, but then with this OGL kind of coming back, it was like it was really like clamping down on like what that could actually be. So I'm of the opinion that you actually can't copyright stat blocks and and the way a game is played. Right. So I think that the even the legal standing of them being able to regulate this at all, it's different than a Transformers thing because Transformers is not a game. I mean, there's Transformers games, but the property is it's Optimus Prime. It's the Decepticons right, versus right. the the Autobots. Like right. So that's sort of the difference. And bring it back to the movie. Yeah. This is why I think Dungeons and Dragons as a property is almost, it could be, or any tabletop RPG for that matter, but since D&D is the biggest one, is the perfect thing for an adaptation. Because okay. you can adapt it to be literally anything, and there's certain elements that you just need to include that can that can transcend genre yeah. and style and you can still make it feel like a D&D &D experience because what the thing that D&D &D is I truly believe is ephemeral and about storytelling and about going on an adventure with your friends right so as long as you can get that and make whatever you're doing feel like one of those sessions then in my opinion mm. it is a successful adaptation now I don't know if this movie does that for anyone who's not into this shit 
Right. Because it, uh, who knows? We'll get into it a little bit. Uh, that's sort of the history. Does that? I feel like I've just been rambling <laughs> at you. Well, uh, no, I'm. I'm. Uh, I want to connect it to the movie at some point in terms of like how because ostensibly the movie is an exercise in intellectual property, right? However. The intellectual property, property as you kind of described it, is somewhat ephemeral because are these characters that are in this particular movie? See, because the thing I was interested in yeah. is, is Dungeons and Dragons hold the right to the character type or these particular characters? So it's so funny. So yeah. check this out. Yeah, they probably could right. lean in and try to copyright things like the rogue and elf and like the, you know the, that sort of stuff. Like maybe right. But it's all based on a house of cards because all they did was rip off other people in the beginning. Tolkien, right? Uh, Cthulhu. They had to. There was a whole thing with um, uh, Lovecraft because a lot of the monsters in the original monster manual they just ripped from Lovecraft until he came after them right. and was like, no, 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 no. So like, but then you have to get into a lot of their stuff is based on mythology right. and a lot. Of, so like, who owns the things that they're claiming to own? It's a dangerous and slippery slope to start doing that. Whereas a character like Elminster or Vecna. Those are characters that the IP and the property, whoever owned them at the time, created and copywrote under their thing. Right. So, for instance, this movie, uh, Helga, is probably copywritten for Michelle Rodriguez's character. is probably copywritten to their company. But the concept of a barbarian, yeah. they can't copyright. Right. Diablo does that. Everything, every every video game has classes, which then plays into game mechanics. Which, like, it's so crazy and weird to think about in a legal sense. Okay, so then that leads me to my question for you. Yes. So, because because uh, I want to tackle, I think we're going to tackle this movie from sort of two points of view. Yep. One is someone who's experienced with the game, knows it well, and considers the movie as an extension of their relationship to the game. Sure. And then. Uh, I'm going to come at it from a point of view of like, how does it stand as a movie on its own? You ran an, you rolled an unnatural twenty, which is a really good roll. So <laughs> right. I think it's going to work out well for you. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll ask you that question because uh, so the way this happened the other night is that uh, by by pure happenstance, <laughs> I walked into the movie and there you were. Uh, so you were at the same movie theater and you were there with your Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Friends, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So most of everyone in our party, except for Anthony and Steve, couldn't make it because he got lost. Uh, not lost. The traffic messed him up, so right. he couldn't make it. Okay. So you were sitting there with a party of people who who play Dungeons and Dragons re regularly, mm -hmm. and then on my side was two, was me and my friend Alex, uh, <laughs> who who uh, I don't believe has played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. He had an opinion on the movie, which I'll share a yeah. little bit later. Um, I was that that was purely by happenstance. I was curious then as I sat down was like, oh, am I going to be hearing a lot of like giggling at in jokes or like little uh -huh, things that uh -huh. I just w would go over my head? And the second and I didn't hear a lot of it. OK, I'm going to explain why I think. Soon yeah. too. And then and the second thing is now that you have watched this movie, would you play a and d campaign if I'm using the right terminology here based off of this story? So, OK, uh, I want to so first question. Was, yeah, it was the the did, how did you? your crew respond to it. Well, I so this is the weird thing. And this is an experiential thing over the film and I'm really trying to separate it, but I have to get this out before we start. Right. The beginning of the experience of watching Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves at the Astoria Kaufman Theaters, uh Regal, I believe is their their parent company. Oh yeah. Um yeah. it was supposed to be like a fan event and sometimes you get like a D20 popcorn me, thing you or had like me roll up. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. But like, and so the, the theater was fairly empty. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay. So like, I, I really want to see this with like a raucous sort of crew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jamie and I brought beers. Don't tell anyone. Okay. Um, <laughs> and and it was so. Then the movie 
like there, there was like a fan experience promo thing in the beginning. Okay, I missed it. I came in late. Dude, <laughs> it made me furious. It was 10 minutes. Oh, you know of, what? I came in at the end. You and I did. Was like, yeah, and it was like, and I and I sat down, and I think the thing Alex and I turned to each other was like, why are they advertising to the people who've Thank already you. paid money I to wanna, come to I want to explain this. This made me so <laughs> fucking angry. There's a 10-minute thing of the crew, of the cast sitting around and like talking about their favorite moments of the movie. Right. So it's showing you the entire fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, right. I watched the first trailer for this, and then I purposely was like, they got my money. I don't want to see anything else more. Right. Like, and And I was like, my entire group was looking at each other like, what the fuck are they doing? Right. Like the entire the entire movie was ruined for me. Right. Okay. Um it, it, like it, I put my I put my fingers in my ears and you I put my I head do. down. Yeah. yeah. And but like this is different from like a trailer, because like I get the yeah. name of the game. This is like showing you. the fucking beats in order of what I'm about to watch. And I was like, <laughs> what fucking marketing exec thought that this would be a good fucking idea i was i was my entire group and myself was so goddamn livid so we were in such a fucking frothing bad mood when okay. the movie started okay i fuck fuck whoever did that that was like that literally like here's your fan experience we're just gonna shit all over you to start and i'm like what i i don't fucking get it I, I i to give them the benefit of the doubt i don't think they thought that they were shitting on you i think they thought they were creating an experience that was like encompassing the funny the, the amusing thing for me is watching it from a person who knows some of the some of the stars on you know like just uh, on a parasocial yeah. level and watching the fact i think you commented on this a while back which was that there is no airs about this none of this cast plays dungeons and dragons no they've played <laughs> one session together briefly and chris pine went to his younger cousin's house and played once right and it was it's amusing to me watching Hugh Grant in the corner of this thing, just sitting there going, like, he's got this sort of befuddled look upon his face, which is like, yes, I will do the thing that you're paying me to do, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and like, Hugh Grant has been on this sort of, like, really interesting uh, press run recently. Yeah. I think it was at the Oscars that he was being interviewed by... Uh, Ashley Denise or, so, or, or something like that, and, and everyone picked up on it. I, I'm actually kind of on his side on this one. Okay, I, um, but but uh, w whatever. And, and he was on Fallon uh, last night or something like that as well. I think there's this sort of there's no airs about the fact that it appears no one in the cast is well versed in 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 this and 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 that's totally fine it's fine i think the marketing people for this movie are just missing the fucking mark like i don't want if if they're not into it yeah don't don't bring like, them up don't on fucking <laughs> bring them like they're actors here's this is what i love and this is me spoiling a little bit into my thoughts of the movie yeah. i thought everyone in the film acting wise was really fucking on their game they seemed like they were having a good time with what they were doing and it, they were like buying into the ridiculous shit that they were going going about right it's so funny to me when you because th that's their job is acting, but then right. you put them here and they have to like be themselves but act like they're excited about the thing that they're like. That's I, that they're paid I, spokespeople. I don't yeah. need them to pretend to like the game their movie is based on. Right. Like I don't want that because they don't pull that off. I, I don't even think I'd want to be lied to about that. If they are into it, cool. Right. If they're not, who gives a shit? But if they did their people, job, people care about that. But you that's know, like, the weird thing. Like, like there's a whole campaign around. Henry Cavill doing Warhammer because everyone knows that he's a massive fan of it. There is, and, and the same with The Witcher. Listen, yeah, a thousand percent. That is a thing, a thread you can pull if it is natural. Yeah, but the second that it is not natural and you try to weave it into your like marketing story, it comes off as so fucking forced and terrible. And it puts a bad taste in your mouth. The other thing they played before the beginning of this fucking movie was, again, the cast sitting around again and being like, hey, you know, we play heroes in this movie, but you know who the real heroes are? Oh, my God. That's the part I walked in on, and I was like, 
And I, 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 and I was like, wait, are we talking about firefighters? Are we talking about medical personnel? Oh, no, it's the audience going to the movies the way this was meant to be seen. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> the entirety of the marketing campaign for this thing past the first trailer is the most tone deaf shit that literally did everything it could in its power to ruin this experience for me. I hope it becomes a Nicole Kidman kind of moment. Though. I, like, I, was like, I was like, we're the real heroes. And like, you know, all of us just standing around giving each other applause. Fuck. We've spoken for a while. Sorry. Now. And then the last thing. Okay. This is also taints my taints my viewing of the film. I don't know if you noticed taints this. Your taint. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the sound was about 15 frames to 20 frames. It was off. it was off. It, yes, I it, wanted it, to die. You know, we could have legitimately. Uh, the problem is when when something like that happens in a movie theater, you are legitimately allowed to to tell them, and they won't stop the print, but they should give you another uh, a free ticket to to come back again. You know why I didn't go? Because I wanted to see the movie. Well, that <laughs> and I do not like that movie theater. The 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 RPX. Yeah. Well, the the cop. I, I, I don't I, mind it, the coffin. It has, it's my it local has theater. Fallen. It's it's it takes just as long for me to walk there to does me to get in the subway and go to uh, Lincoln Square. So okay. I don't give a shit. Okay. Like I don't have bad experiences at Lincoln Square. I always have bad experiences there. <laughs> it's so tw- it was twenty three dollars to see this movie. Fuck. At any rate, okay, all right. I, I think I've worked you up here, <laughs> uh, and we've talked for like forty minutes now. <laughs> Did you like the movie? <laughs> roll, <laughs> roll an investigation check. Okay, you give uh, a plus five. Okay. Uh, what I get? I got a three. 16, another un. Oh no, twenty-one. An unnatural twenty-one. That's is that nice. is that what I rolled? I thought I rolled oh, nineteen. No, you're right. So that's. Oh my gosh, twenty-four. Am I good at this game? You're so good at this game. <laughs> okay. Um, I, despite all that, mm-hmm. the fact that I was in a good mood at the end of that experience, after literally for the first half hour, just being like, I'm so I'm livid. Right. Uh, I did enjoy this movie. Okay. I think it does a lot of stuff very well. I think it does stuff that is less important for the experience I was looking for very poorly. Okay. Um I I really liked how Okay, I haven't I haven't seen what I would consider like a pure adventure movie mm-hmm. in a while. I was trying to think back like what's the, what's the vibe? And I was like the mummy or like even like Right. Okay. Even like um, Fifth Element in a weird way, and I'm not saying that this is better than those movies. I I I don't think it is. I I I have test of time on that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but like this was a silly adventure movie that took that that never broke its own rules or like winked at the camera, even in ways that sometimes Marvel films do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's humor I found endearing. That's drama I found laughable. Uh, that's action I found undulated between really impressive or okay, whatever. And, uh, that only had two or three moments of cringe in it. Hmm. And I, and I think a lot of it to be perfectly honest, (laughs) radiates from Chris Pine, right? (laughs) Chris Pine can sell anything, (laughs) right? He is perfect. And it's so funny because the grognard in me, the dumb nerd, Okay. Uh, the old school nerd in me is like, well, he's like a bard, but like bards have magic and like he didn't do any magic. He just hit people with his loot. And I'm like, well, is he a bard? He's a rogue. Well, if he's a rogue, then he's a bad. I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck about the mechanics. Chris Pine felt like a character in Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And, 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 and I look, Michelle Rodriguez honestly did a really good job as a barbarian. Uh, uh, well, Rega uh, Jean Page, who played uh, Zank, yeah. I believe, um, who was the paladin. Yeah. That's what a paladin is. Right. A pompous. Too good for this world, like nonsense character that is annoying to everyone else because of how righteous they are. Right. 
Um, He's my guy. Yeah, ju- <laughs> Justice Smith, who played Simon, who I believe was the the sorcerer. Yeah, we saw him uh, in uh, Detective, Detective Pikachu. Pikachu. Yeah, and then Sophie uh, so, Lillis, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Sophia uh, played Doric, who was the druid. Uh, and it's funny again. The reason it, I, I think I know I like this movie a lot because all of the things they decided to change from the game don't matter. Tieflings generally are not are not um uh uh like Caucasian colored. They are uh what are tieflings. Tieflings. So that's the thing. You don't know <laughs> because they mention it once and it's a throwaway thing. Yeah. Uh tieflings are uh sort of uh, like uh with horns and a tail uh characters. That's what she is. Yeah. Okay. But they're normally like purple she's or a blue. Uh it was, that's the druid part of her. Yes. Okay. Uh wild shape she they drop they dropped the name wild shape so much I thought it was going to be like a branding opportunity. I was like it's one ability druids have. Okay. Um well, it, it, regardless there was enough there was enough fan service in this movie for me to have a lot of those I understood that reference moments and right. to enjoy them but that didn't like I never was like okay that's enough like okay. they did the right level of it yeah. and the frivolity of um gags like in the graveyard or when they're running through the maze or like any of that stuff all feels like a D&D game feels because roles like we've just been rolling and you rolled very good on these things. I'm the best D&D player. You're the player. best D&D, D&D player, player ever. Uh, but like you have to narratively come up with conceits when things fail to make it enjoyable. Sometimes it's silly. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, terrifying. But like everything that happened in this movie, even down to like their heist at the end, and I don't want to sort of ruin anything, but like they end up in like wrong spots, but then it pays off with another thing. I think structurally all feels very uh, tight and like a Dungeons and Dragons game because it's so random feeling. However, going back, I think the movement between those moments, like the connective tissue just wasn't there. It felt like they were just porting around to like, now we're in the Underdark. Now we're at the the Capitol. Now we're at Helga's house. And it's like, (laughs) where... (laughs) We had spoilers now? Yeah, Yeah, we're at 41 minutes. We're uh, a halfling-sized Bradley Cooper. (laughs) Yeah. Shows up and is in a completely different movie. Like, he, he, like, acted his goddamn face off, like, emotionally in this dumb as hell moment. And I was like, what is happening? Um, So there's a lot of unevenness to it. But I think this is why I think I'm not sure if it'll resonate entirely with it outside of Dungeons and Dragons audience because that right here. that tonal inconsistency in mm-hmm. my opinion is one of the charms of the game. We're playing Curse of Strahd right now. Right. It's gothic horror. It's meant to terrify and be scary and sad. The, and there's been moments in the campaign where people have and you can ask uh, Jamie or any of my players like they, uh, people have legitimately felt all of those emotions. Right. But then also they based on rolls and die, they also found in a treasure hoard a uh carpet that when they say the words chaos rises turns into a unicorn that can psychically talk to them and uh, speaks in riddles and is kind of like a a demonic nightmare, but like in a fun way, like it's dumb shit interweaved with like serious stuff. Right. So in that tone, I think it works for players and people who have experienced playing a tabletop RPG with friends. Let's go to you because (laughs) you are not that person. Not at all. So, so (laughs) overall, what was your feelings 
beyond the dumb beginnings that I described of Dungeons and Dragons. Honor Monk Thieves. So I, I do want to talk about the actual filmmaking uh, at some point because this was directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, who directed one of my favorite American comedies in the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, 10 to 50. 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was Game Night. Um, and uh, John Francis Daly from Freaks and Geeks. From Freaks and Geeks. They did a promo with it. Did you I, see that? I, I heard that they got the Freaks and Geeks oh, guys so back good. together. Also, uh, just by the by, small connection to us. They may have listened to our podcast because uh, they are working an adaptation of the Vacation Guide to Planets, which was a Jana Govich book, and she was on our 2001 episode. Hey! Yeah, so she, they are adapting her book into a That's film, which, cool. I, which, I'm That's very, cool. which I'm very excited about. Um, okay, so uh, I, I was texting Jamie back and forth a little bit because uh, we play Wordle every morning, um, and we, she was complaining about the um, the out of sync, and I, and I think my comment back to it was like, was it disrupted by the fact that I was snoring during this movie? <laughs> I really did feel like I might have dozed off during this movie. Not to say that I think uh, the movie was boring. I think it was long. And that when I say long, I don't mean like um, it needs to be three hours. You know, like some a movie can be three hours long and not feel long. Sure. The movie this felt was, long to you. This this felt was two, 225, I think it was, or 220. Okay. Uh, two hours and 20. And, and the problem was is that there was very little... There, there were times where I felt like the plot wasn't moving forward and going into side quests that were uninteresting to me. But yes. there were some... There, there were definitely moments in this that I thought... Really worked well, but only on a superficial level. Okay. So um, I thought the the druids escape from the tower uh, as a single shot, you know, where she's transforming into multiple creatures. Yeah. A, a full on CGI, you know, uh, smorgasbord. Uh, smorgasbord, but executed cleverly. That um, was really fun. That was yeah. a really fun sequence. Yeah, really fun sequence. I really liked. Uh, I, I think the mechanic. Everything I'm going to talk about is very superficial, very That's mechanic fine. driven. Um, the mechanic of having to revive people from a from a from a battle and see what happened to them, and then like go to the next person and 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 follow the plot line of like what happened to this helmet. We get little mini flashbacks from the corpses. That there's there's a, there's a spell yeah. in D and D that they use called Speak with Dead, which basically lets you revive a corpse and ask it five questions about its life before it died. Yeah, and and what we realize is that there's a and. Uh, I believe I had seen like a snippet of that beforehand because I saw it in some other trailer. Yeah. But what it was was slightly more than that, which is that they have to. There's a narrative of that battle that is being told through these di revived corpses. And so I thought there's that, a fun structural element. To yeah, that. I thought that was a neat little mechanic. Um, I thought the portal device, which is the here to or here hither, hither, or, hither and thither, hither yeah. and dither, whatever. Um, I I thought that was like. Uh, I, at first, I was like, "Well, they're just doing portal. What are they going to do with it?" But then, when they did, they did a kind of Ocean's Eleven style yep. heist with it. Yep. I thought that was great. I was like, "That's very, very. That's a very cool use of that mechanic." Yep. Um, but and I and I liked all the actors in it. Um, I I felt Hugh Grant walked away with the movie in terms of like <laughs> he had being, a lot of fun. He he seemed to be the one who was like least aware of what movie he was in, but also having the most fun in the movie he yeah. was in. I, I I just felt like he kind of like really. Nailed it. Um, I think the problem here is, for me, is um, there's a sense that I felt, particularly with uh, Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez, who do good work here, mm -hmm. but who who I felt were being dropped into scenes and say, and being told, do that thing you do, which is like, Chris Pine, be charming and sort of like self-effacing and, sure. and sort of slightly unsure. I felt like he was actually kind of doing a version of Jason Bateman from Game Night. Um, I, I couldn't shake um, 
you know, Bateman's affectations um, as I was watching because it was very similar. And then same with Michelle Rodriguez, which was like, hey, you're tough and stoic. Do that thing. And the re- where that really came to play for me is that there is a narrative underline to this film about Chris Pine trying to uh, rescue his daughter from mm-hmm. the clutches of this family that, you know, from Hugh Grant. Um, I really thought that that was just surface level uninteresting and it was and 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 my biggest thing here was that the majorist through line majorist is not a word by the way <laughs> it is now uh, it is now roll to uh, see if it's a word it is uh you got a minus five it's a three so oh, it's negative a, two jeez oh. okay. um was that was that the daughter had been raised by michelle rodriguez and chris pine um and then now had been taken away i really felt when michelle rodriguez runs in and sees this long lost daughter for the first time. I was like, she's really meeting this person for the very first time in the scene. Yeah. Like there's just no, there's nothing here um, to suggest that this is in any way having any weight that we think it is. And I think the problem, you know, then that just kind of leads into this whole thing, which is like, I can appreciate the mechanics of this uh-huh. movie. Um, this is not a movie I would suggest anyone rush out to see in a theater. Sure. You know, like, I was like, you could watch this as a rental, maybe. The interesting thing, listen, Mm -hmm. I agree with everything you said. Like, I I have to truly say that, like, I, because I wanted to go on the ride, I took the narrative leaps to get over those things. Those are problems. It's funny because my, my, my gut's like, well, I really wish they, like, I'm going to say something, I'm going to back up. I really wish they would have taken the time to make those relationships matter because I do think structurally yeah. what the characters want and where they go and where they end up is interesting. Yeah. But I, they don't spend the time, and it's like it's like micro doses of time, I feel like, that need to be spread throughout the entire movie to make that like actually feel emotionally resonant. Nothing in this movie feels emotionally resonant. Yeah. Like, I had a great time and I enjoyed the characters, but like... There's and I I don't want the movie to be longer either. Like I would happily take one less action scene in this movie, yeah, and use that time to build more about the characters in fun ways because I liked watching the characters and everything that they were doing. It's just their motivations were never set for me in a realistic fashion because it felt like we were always just moving to the next set piece and not taking the time to like, I find it really interesting. And I, I think the movie ham fists this, but I like the concept. Chris Pine is like, I need to bring back your mother. That's what I'm doing this for. I, I'm whatever. And then it's revealed. That's actually kind of selfish because he's not doing it really for her. He's doing it for him. She never knew her mother because she was such, she was a baby. And, and Helga and, and was, so, and, and so you could make an emotionally, sto- emotionally resonant story about Helga having to be the surrogate mother. And they didn't. And it's, and, and, and that's it's right. What, and it's right there. It's right. There. <laughs> that, that's the thing was like, that sense that like Michelle Rodriguez is literally meeting this person for the very first time when in act in the story sense she has raised this girl. Yeah, so that's my point. Like, it's, well, it's your point that I'm I'm piggybacking on yeah. is I think structurally everything this movie needs to be emotionally re- resonant is on the page. Mm-hmm. They don't. They either didn't shoot it or they edited around it. It's like just, it's not. It's it's not. It's not given enough weight. Yeah. Because, yeah, because, and again, I get it. They want to cram in as much spectacle as possible and whatever. Uh, I think my least favorite sequence was Fat Dragon. I didn't like Fat Dragon. I thought it was dumb. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of sequences in here that, like, you know, when I'm sort of joking about the story, I didn't didn't fall asleep, but I kind of felt like my mind was wandering to to the extent where I was like, 
I was watching going, wait, did that really happen? Did I, did I, you know, cause I just didn't care. Yeah. And I wasn't arrested in my seat kind of like going, oh wow. And I didn't think it was funny. And I didn't think, you know, like I was kind of like, I, I don't need the movie to be heavy. Sure. I just needed to kind of actually give me a reason the, to be there. If the movie's going to tell you this has emotional weight, it yeah. needs to also show you it. It can't just be like, this is important to them. Yeah. It has to emotionally it, it's, grab It's you. like the, you know, Justice Smith's character, uh, you know, has some uh, reveal with the father, with his father. I think it's supposed to be him in oh, the future. To... Oh, is it? Again, <laughs> everything, every cool reveal that they do yeah. is not clear enough to have emotion, or not enough time spent to have emotional weight. Um this and, is, you know what's weird about that? You know who's good at this? Like oddly, in in, in is a complete like in the opposite direction. Mm. And you know, there's lots of examples where they're not good at this. Yeah, but it's Michael Bay. You know, yeah. like Michael Bay. Ambulance. What's that? Ambulance. Ambulance. I was gonna say the Transformers series, like the first Transformers movie. Sure. Um, yes, you know, that's that, a better example with this particular kind of thing. With this, with this exact thing, which is that it it doesn't need to have weight, but it needs to like just. Treat that. Treat the things that it thinks has weight with a little bit more respect um, and time in micro moments. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, because because the, you know, like, yeah, Justice Smith's dad. I was like, or him, or whatever it was. I was like, okay, he's having a thing going on here. I don't know what it is, but sure. Um, you know, and it really, it like, it also comes down to the villain in this film as well, the the Red Wizard. Uh, yep. Um, I understood that this was a character who wanted to create a horde of other red wizards, perhaps. Undead. They wanted an undead army. Right. But I didn't understand why or like what, what difference it made or or like or why why they were doing this at this time and why they had like lived this charade to it's like so funny because when, so I was debating this and I figured it out, but again it's not clear. The reason why they were teaming up with Forge, uh, who yeah. is Hugh Grant's, Grant's character, character, was to bring back these games in a political way that could get every amount every person in the city to be in one spot so they could cast a spell and turn them into an undead army. But they did they done the, this was a long they con. did a, they did a <laughs> Yeah, but they did a long time before in a country far, far away, and then the then... no, no. But I mean, they took two years to do this. Yeah, right? well, yeah, but sure. I mean, yeah. sure, whatever. Like that's fine. But the, my point is, like, and then people were like, well, yeah, but then when the treasure, mm. uh, then the, through some mm. mechanics and some fun things, they end up throwing treasure all over the city, and then the people run out to get the treasure. Yeah, and then the spell doesn't work because they're not all in one spot. And a lot of people mm. in my group were like, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like. Well, weirdly, in the mechanics of D&D where spells have radiuses and things, like, right. it does, but the audience isn't going to fucking know that. Like, it doesn't take the time to make the moments that are supposed to matter really matter. Yeah. Instead, it focuses on, in what I would say, mostly engaging action, heisty combat sequences. Like, I, I even... the sequences were actually good. Yeah. You know what was funny? The scene where they're all fighting the Red Wizard near the end. Just sure. it's just it's one shot like yeah. whatever I don't yeah. care about the sequence as a whole yeah but there's one like maybe thirty second shot of them all like going at it at the same time very Avengers kind yeah of feel. it was yeah. one of those moments where there was so much going on but I could actually identify clearly what was happening and I was like okay that could have been garble muck and you didn't make it garble muck yeah like that was neat then you go <laughs> but you know okay I'm gonna back up and sort of say why in my personal opinion by a certain moment I was like you know what. Whatever this movie does is fine, and I'm gonna have a good time. Right. It was when we first meet the paladin, and there's a fish on the dock. Right. 
and the paladin walks up nobly, and there's a fish, and he touches his head. I believe he probably does like charm animal or something. And then he opens the fish's mouth, and he pulls out a stuffed animal. A cat. Right? <laughs> it's a cat. Yeah. It's called a tabaxi. The yeah. the race in D and D is called a tabaxi. Right. And then hands it back to the tabaxi mother, which is just I love. So there's dragonkin, there's Aracocra, which are the eagle people, okay. and then uh, and then uh, tabaxi. Okay. And every one of these folks, or dragonborn, excuse me, not yeah. dragonkin, um, they're Practical effects and suits. Right. And I, even though, like, there's a moment where, like, these two furry (laughs) costumes are, like, this baby, like, this stuffed animal and this person in a tabaxi costume are, like, have their foreheads together (laughs) and, like, treating it like an emotional moment. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. They're Mm -hmm. just leaning in and don't give a shit. I was like, yes, I'm here. Because those moments told me it's okay to sort of laugh at the dumb moments that they're doing. And I'm not saying that's an effective tool for everyone or a way to wash away this film's flaws. It has many. Yeah. But when that moment happened, I was like, that was my turnaround point. I was just like, oh, okay. This is the movie we're here. This is the movie we're here, and I like this property. But the thing is, I didn't think that that was the movie. It wasn't. (laughs) but, but, But the way it treated that moment was indicative of kind of how it treats... All of its like non-action moments, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I just I latched onto it, and Jamie and I, when we were walking home, we're just like, Tabaxi baby. It yeah. was the it was the moment. It was the moment of the movie. It's the dumbest moment of the movie, right. but it like so, yeah, so made me, everything okay. I actually didn't remember that moment until you just described <laughs> it. Like I just not at all. Like I was like, oh yeah, that happened. I I forgot about that. Um so I guess that's a that's a thing for the fans, right? Like people who know, like to sure, me but like, like, but I could also see the fans getting real mad that Tabaxi looks so fucking stupid. Yeah. Like that's that's what I'm so interested in the, in the coming weeks, especially all my friends, the tabletop RPG community. Email me in onlymoviepodcast at gmail uh, What what they think about this movie in a way? Um, Here's my 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 prediction. There, yeah, I don't think this movie. Uh, like I think everything about this movie is very surface, mm-hmm. and there are surface pleasures here. Yeah. But but I don't think this movie uh, warrants enough of a conversation to get into anything about this where we're going to be discussing it in any length. Like I think people are just going to be like, cool, 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 and move on. Cinema, I a thousand percent agree. You're underestimating the way nerds want to talk about stuff. I'm curious. I, I, I even think nerds, I, and I'm saying it in terms of like similar properties that I love, uh-huh. for example. Uh, I just don't think there's any there there. You know, to like warrant a conversation. You know what? That that's that's fair. I I think it is so middle ground slash bad at things slash good at things slash it just sort of all comes out in the wash. Where yeah. I think it is a fun ride to go on, but it's not going to invite a lot of yeah. Uh, I'm you know what I'm curious about because the whole idea of making this into a property, of course, in, in cinema is to make money, yeah, right? Of course. I'm curious if this would convince anyone to play Dungeons and Dragons. And and I don't know if the film would. Yeah. But you know what might work weirdly is all of the press tour junket garbage that I hate <laughs> on people. Like Michelle Rodriguez went on uh Kelly Clarkson. Right. And was talking about the game and like all this stuff. And it was just so interesting to see Dungeons and Dragons be discussed in that setting. Right. And every it's so funny. Every late night host or or any of these shows that they've had people go on the line is always the same thing. So many people on our crew play this game. Right. 
And then, like, we didn't know how many people. And if if there's one win that Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons of the Property gets from this movie, I don't think it's going to be from extended discussion about the merits or detriments yeah. of the film. Yeah. I think it's going to be brand recognition. I think it's going to get more people okay with their weird, not even their weird friend, <laughs> their friend wanting to be like, yo, you want to play D&D? And be like, oh, yeah, that movie. Yeah, mm. sure, I'll try that. And I think it will actually make many more converts than than any other piece of media around Dungeons and Dragons has, hmm. um, because because the, the truth is you're right. It on its own is not going to convince people of shit. Yeah. But what it's doing is putting the name Dungeons and Dragons out in a public non-satanic panic light, <laughs> and then when like if I go up to a random person that I'm friends with, uh, as I'm I'm doing uh, some of the people I'm running the Nebula game for have never played before, right. And uh, I scheduled this before the D&D movie dropped, but I'm wondering maybe did they agree because they heard the movie was coming out and it was more of a thing? Like, I don't know. Right. So I think overall it will be very good for the property, and I can only hope that Hasbro <laughs> uh, stops trying to shoot itself in the face <laughs> and uh, lets Wizards of the Coast just make the best bu- fucking game that they possibly can and take the win on this and uh, just keep on keep on trucking in a way that lets fans also help them make money. Right. Um, I don't know. Again, yeah, it, I, I agree with you. I think that's the 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 thing. Your persuasion check holds. Yeah. Um, this movie is not worthy of intense discussion beyond what we've just done. Uh, but it's also like I just want to stress this point as well. It's also fine. Sure. You know, like like it's it's fine. I think it was a really fun time after I got over uh, yeah. the marketing department really wanting me not to enjoy this movie. Right. Uh, I will watch it again. I want to. Go, I will go see this again in a theater at a theater I like, not at a fan event, yeah. just to kind of experience it again because I feel like I was in a real bad place for the first thirty to forty five minutes. And I would say that that you know save yourself the fifteen bucks and wait till it comes on streaming to do that. Um, yeah, which is fine. Again, I, we're very we're two very different audiences for this, and that's I think what the strength of this podcast is. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I'm I'm thankful that we get to talk about it. Uh. Again, more from a personal side of things, I think too, because yeah. this D and D it's weird. I played a bunch in in middle school and high school, mm-hmm. and then I dropped off around college. Maybe played like a game, and then I didn't get back into it until like my thirties, my my right. early thirties. And it has brought me so much joy from a and and I, I still I stand by this from any creative listening, any writer or any person that likes world building. Right. Play Dungeons and Dragons or any tabletop RPG with people that you like, because it is the best way I have found to get creative juices flowing in, in the fastest amount of time possible for your other projects. Right. You train your brain in a way to problem solve on the fly narratively that has helped me so much in every piece of writing I have ever done. I feel like I am a better writer and a better creative because I've played this game and other tabletop RPGs. And it's such an easy and cheap way to go about it. The hard part is finding time in adults that can schedule time. The hardest part of D&D is finding a group of five adults to sit in one place once a month. <laughs> I was going to say as well, like in terms of playing with people you like, uh, un- it, this is unlike Risk, where it's better to play with people you don't like. Exactly. You know, to, to, to play Risk. Yeah, I, I um, you know, I, I think it was, um, I, I had higher hopes, but maybe I shouldn't have. And I had higher hopes because I loved Game Night. Yeah. I really, really loved Game Night. Like, Game Night was one of these ones where I, I watched it and was like, holy shit, that was way better than mm-hmm. I thought it was ever going to be. 
and and it got me excited about these two guys and i and i am still excited for their vacation guide to the solar system um and and whatever it is they want to do next uh i just kind of felt that in the weight of what this was there was a lot of attention played to the surface mechanics of this kind of adventure movie mm-hmm. and not a lot of weight played to things that would have made it more interesting to watch. Yeah, agreed. Um, That's um, why I think The Mummy and its, and its ilk is like a better version of this because it takes the time to make you care about the bigger, more bombastic things yeah. even more. And and, and, it, and also want to stress that this doesn't mean that it can't be funny, that it can't be lighthearted, that it can't be like uh, quippy or anything of the things that I think the cast is there to do. But the script is very clever. Yeah, but it's just not... Um, but, but, yeah, it's... it's, it's not something I would say rush out in the theater to see. Well, it's kind of the thing about it. Yeah. Uh, Shahir, one last roll. I need you to roll a stealth check to escape from talking about this movie. Uh, because <laughs> I'd say you're more of a paladin, you're wearing plate armor, I'm going to give you disadvantage. So you have to roll it twice and take the lowest one. Okay. So what did I hit? Uh, you got a one. Oh, okay. God. This is, uh, this is bad? So that's a natural fail. It doesn't actually even matter what you roll next. <laughs> one is the worst. Yeah. So if you take the lowest of 12 or one. <laughs> Oh boy, critical failure. Uh, so we have to do the podcast again. Okay, uh, we have to do the whole thing again. The whole thing again. So get, buckle in. Uh, you didn't get to escape. Well, you know what would be the punishment? Is like you have to do it again. But now you have to make. You have to convince people that this is the greatest movie of the year. I get, this okay. is my number one okay. movie of the year. So you can. I'll let you. I'll let you escape uh, in the next two minutes if you can say in a few sentences why falsely, Dungeons okay. and Dragons is your favorite movie of twenty twenty three. Quentin Tarantino was on the Ringer podcast <laughs> a few years ago and was asked uh, about his favorite films of the 90s. And he mentioned the film Unst- Unstoppable with Chris Pine and Denzel Washington. And he went on about that movie. And one of the things he said that always struck me, because it struck me because I, I was like, why hasn't he done this yet? Is that Chris Pine is one of the is one of this generation's best movie stars that hasn't been given an opportunity yet to, to shine. And I was like, well, if there's anyone who can do that, that would be Quentin Tarantino. So take not my word for it, but Quentin Tarantino. Uh, but but Quentin Tarantino's word for it. Chris Pine is the absolute twinkle of of you know the twinkly blue eyes of this generation that makes this movie absolutely unmissable in a theater because he is doing so much work to prop up this incredible screenplay about a father who has lost their daughter and must regain it at all costs while still taking us upon a rapturous adventure with lovable characters alongside him, like Michelle Rodriguez's Helga, who is a, who is a surrogate mother to this child. It is an absolute wonderful movie. I doubt very much I will see anything better in 2023. The... Previously, Marvel shilling lich <laughs> stares deeply into your eyes as you make this plea to him. And you see a small <laughs> dust tear crawl from where his eye should be. And he finally says, This has been the only podcast about the film Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Shahir, when you are not leaving my crypt, where can folks find you? You can feel me. Bumbling out of this uh, this stone keep with at my website www.shahirdaud.com. That's s h a h i r d a u d dot com. Matt, when you are running uh, a game, is that what it is? Is a that campaign. what you call it? A, a campaign, campaign mm-hmm. with some 
dice? Is that what these called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you you're, you're making notes. Is I, that what's happening? And writing you, story. Yeah. Okay. Write, okay. Where can people find you doing all that you, stuff? You can you can find me uh, just DMing the hell out of everyone's DMs over at my website m a t t h e w carol dot com. My life and works. Also Skeletor the number four Pierezy on Instagram or PSN uh, and then Embraer can Twitter. Side note. Uh, in lieu of advertising extra credit stuff this week, I'm going to advertise different extra credit stuff. I'm actually going to put a few links in the show notes mm-hmm. uh, of various actual plays that uh, I have done with the with the channel. Uh, the D&D ones I'll, I'll throw in there. Maybe the vampire one, too, because the Jasmine ran that one. was so fucking good. Okay. Just for you to be able to check out, every, anyone who's listening, if you've never checked out an actual play before and you, for some reason, like the sound of my voice, uh, these are really, really fun, and I'm very, very proud of them. Okay. Um, with that in mind, next week... I believe we're sticking with the gaming theme. Might be. It, it is school holidays coming up, and a, mo- a particular movie has caught my youngling's attention, uh, even though they have not played the game ever. Uh, and that is Super Mario Brothers with Chris Pratt. Um, but before then. Oh, yeah. Don't, oh, sorry. Wait. The triple threat. Oh, my God. Yeah, the other game movie that we're doing. <laughs> Another game that my youngling has, no, has not seen um, and is perhaps not interested in. I'm not sure. Maybe they would be interested in it. Uh, Tetris is coming out on Apple TV, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and that is on the docket, right? Yep, we're doing Tetris next and then Mario, I believe. Uh, we're going to have a very special guest, hopefully, for Tetris, and we'll see who wants to come chat about Mario, if there's anybody. Uh, there's a few. Uh, we're going with a bunch of kids, so uh, well, let's there we see go. if we bring, can wrangle them in. Should we bring them all here and just have them scream and play in the background? Let's see what happens. Anyway, thank you so much, everyone, for listening uh, to... Uh, Basically, a sheer making very salient points and me just rambling about my favorite thing on the fucking planet uh, that is tangentially tied to this film uh, next week. Until then, may your dice always roll 20s and uh, may you never fail any animal handling checks in the woods. What? You know. No, I don't know. Roll intelligence. Check. <laughs>